You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of SmallAgreHunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. All right. Welcome everybody to part four of the Making a Habitat Plan. I am your host of the Small Your Hunting Podcast, Ty Miller. And it's been a while. Starting to get pretty comfortable in the new digs here at the new house. Everything's starting to fall into place. And hopefully I'll begin to progress back through everything and start making more content. However, I will be honest, those of you that uh, have been asking and wondering where are the videos at, um, those of you that follow the Facebook page or YouTube where I post the videos and everything, I have decided I'm going to probably produce less videos, but I'm hoping they have more value. Um, hopefully, that's that's the goal at least. But thank you for everybody being patient. Um, I am actually on the verge. I'm recording this on the 25th. I'm going to hopefully have this live the 26th. And many of you, when you listen to this episode, I will already be on my way driving through the night up to the Minnesota wilderness called the Boundary Waters. Um, Those of you who listen to uh, Wired to Hunt, Mark Kenyon has spoken about the Boundary Waters a lot. This is actually my second trip up there and uh, cannot wait. Pops is accompanying me, my nephew and my brother. Uh, the same exact group that we took up a few years back. I don't even remember. I think it's been at least three years. It might have even been four years since we went. Uh, the fishing was amazing, and hopefully it'll be just as good this time. And hopefully uh, we just have an amazing trip, which I have no doubt we will. Um, good fishing or not, it's going to be amazing. But uh, I'm looking forward to getting back and got some things in the works, and then we got to start prepping the property hardcore. We've got one path. That needs to be opened up for us to even get the tractor easily over to the food plots um, in the logging. The logger brought down a really big pine and a really big maple, and the top of it was across the main trail. So speaking of the logging, um, many of you guys have asked about that. I will hopefully get back out there, take some more pictures, because I've got some uh, firewood I need to stack to be able to haul out next year. But the amount of light let in has been incredible. I've never seen that much green in that chunk of woods at my place ever. It just, it just never been like that. And the deer are loving it. I jumped a quick little side story before we delve into this episode. I actually, uh, we went out there finally, um, because of the COVID and everything, the Amish logger unfortunately had shut down and he wasn't doing visits or cutting or anything like that. He came out for one final cutting. We took down the largest trees, uh, two. That day, we really just hauled stuff out um, that was prepped and down, a lot of cottonwoods. And then we went up to the northern uh, part, and there was this massive oak tree and this massive uh, cherry tree. The cherry tree was rotten for the first four or five feet, but we got, I think, seven or eight logs out of it. It was just a massive cherry tree, but that oak tree 
was so big, he barely was able to haul out the logs um, one at a time with his skidster. And that skidster picked up stuff like it was toothpicks. Um, it was incredible, but he was straining. His back tires were bouncing. Uh, that oak tree alone was probably worth who knows. I mean, it, it was incredible. Um, the size of it. I wish I would have taken some pictures, didn't have my phone in my pocket. But the crazy thing was when he actually cut the chainsaw into it, water just shot out of that thing. Um, we had ran into a lot of uh, rot in the cherry trees, and we even had an oak tree that was rotten at the bottom. And they said that happens a lot when there's cattle when those trees are younger in the area, which I did find out was the case a long time ago. So I'm hoping some of the really nice cherry trees that I'm going to just leave there on the northern side of the opening where they're not going to be blocking a bunch of light. But if I give them another five to ten years, there's going to be some really awesome, really tall, narrow, um, or not narrow, but tall and straight with no branch work uh, cherry trees for logging. And uh, they're not going to impede the growth underneath or anything like that. But I am extremely excited. Uh, When I walked in there that day, I was the first person to enter the woods. I jumped a doe with two fawns up in the northern part of it. And then as I walked back down, what I was doing was I was walking around to see if there's any more logs that our tractor couldn't get that the skidster could that day. And when I walked down to the other side, I was along this corridor edge. And basically, there were these um, deadfalls created by the, the logging that we had done. And along this old fence row, deer could slip across the fence row over a berm and then off into the field and then across the field into the creek bottom if they wanted to. Or they could run south onto my property where the food plots are and the brush and the cover and some bedding that way. Or they could come the way I was going. So they have three different escape routes. And when I walked around that edge of a deadfall, three velvet bucks all took off across the fence over the berm. Um, One of which I did recognize and... uh, Hopefully I was right, because if so, he's going to be a special deer. He is not Bertier. It's not Bertier. Um, well, those many of you guys know it was High Rise. Um, you know of High Rise. But it, it surely looked like it. It's it's still very early. It's tough to tell in this stage. But those brow tines at this point were vastly um, more developed than I would have expected uh, one to be. But that's kind of my quick little update. Let's delve into probably the reason why you're listening to this and that is making a habitat plan part four the thing no consultant wants you to know and i'm just gonna start with it and then we're just gonna kind of unpack it a little bit the one thing that consultants do not want you to know is the very fact that you You are the number one resource to changing your property. You hold the most value. You hold the most ability. And you hold the most influence. And you can make your property better. You just got to be willing to take the steps and do it. Some of the best properties I have seen, walked on, toured, discussed with people 
They didn't hire big dollar consultants. They didn't hire a consultant. They absorbed and listened to everything and everybody that they possibly could. But they were willing to do one thing that goes into this. This whole concept of you are where the value lies. You are the greatest influence over your success. The greatest investment you could put into your property is belief in yourself, in you, in what you desire and what you're going to do. But you got to be willing to do this one thing that every single land manager, in my opinion, is willing to do, and that is fail or be wrong. There are often times where, and I don't know if you'll ever hear anybody admit this in the industry, is that they've been wrong. And arguably, the reason why they are at where they are, you know, guys like Don Higgins can't charge what he can and deserves, in my opinion. Guys like him can't do that. They can't be as successful as he is. By just having never made mistakes, having never been wrong, they have made those mistakes. They have learned from them. They have countless memories to recall from and pull from where they have succeeded following failure, following watching what they did, do, want, become, fail. It's the greatest teacher that you can have in this whole thing. And that's really what you're paying for when you pay a consultant. If you think the consultant is going to make your property just by having them come amazing and do it all, you're, you're, you're naive. What you're doing is you're expediting, you're bypassing with a cost, you're bypassing failures that you may have incurred along the way if you had not hired them. But you still got to be willing to make failures. You still got to be willing to make adjustments to plans. You still have to be willing to see and study and react to how the deer are responding to what you do. Nothing you do to your property is guaranteed without a shadow of a doubt to do exactly what you want. And Lord have mercy, it most definitely is not guaranteed to produce a trophy buck, however you define that. It's just not. If it was that easy, everybody would consistently be putting down trophy deer. If it was that easy, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast trying to garner anything. You wouldn't be digesting and reading the books put out by those who have proven themselves successful. You wouldn't be reading books by Craig Harper. You wouldn't be listening to podcasts with guys like Don Higgins, Dan Infault. You wouldn't be hiring consultants with proven track record like Don, Jake Illinger, Jim Brocker, Jeff Sturgis, 
Grant Woods. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's so many good ones. And they've all proven it over time to be successful. But I guarantee you, each one of them has failed more than they've succeeded at some point in time. That pendulum probably did swing, if you will. And they started being more successful because if you fail enough times, you're going you're gonna to learn from each occurrence. But to take this one step further, to take this uh, concept, if you will, where you are the crucial aspect and key to your success, not a consultant, not a book, not something else, you are the key, is the fact that I believe a plan is doomed. A habitat plan designed by any single person for any amount of money that you could label that plan with, that you could tack onto it. There is not a check big enough, and there is not a consultant good enough to make me not believe this statement. And that is the fact that if you don't believe in it, it is never going to succeed to its fullest potential. I oftentimes think I'm successful and am blessed to hunt the deer that I am, to have the chances that I do, to learn from the chances I should have had but wasn't there. Because I believe in, in, in what I'm doing works. And I believe in what I do, there's reasons and there's backing and it all works for the good of my success. Everything I, you know, I don't climb a tree just to climb a tree. I don't choose to hunt a day merely because, well, I have the day. I might as well go hunting. I don't do that anymore. That's not how I hunt. Not only is my time more limited now that I have a family, but I don't want to waste time in the field. I don't want to have a negative impact or influence on my hunting property merely because I use the old adage, well, you can't catch when you're not, you can't catch something when you're not fishing. Just keep casting that lure out there. Eventually something's going to bite. Or those in my opinion, those countless casts scared every single fish away because they didn't like what they saw or heard or smelled, and you're just conditioning them to avoid. But I think one of the biggest things that I try to get people who talk to me to believe is a simple fact they need to believe in themselves and they need to believe in the plan that they are going to implement is going to work. It will enhance the property. Now, mind you, you need to have realistic expectations. Enhancing a property does not guarantee anything. And it doesn't necessarily mean that overnight you're going to go from zero to hero and trophy shots in one year. It's, 
it, it's just not the case. We get back to the fact that you believe, the belief in yourself is that you are going to continually progress and enhance and continue to take steps. If your property and your habitat plan were a runner in a marathon, to win a marathon, you keep running, you keep prodding, you keep moving. You don't stop, you don't turn around, you keep going. It's the same thing with this habitat plan. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's something that you build towards. It's a long-term goal. And sometimes along the way, you're going to get amazing moments. I killed Cicero well ahead of time at my place. Did not expect that to happen that fast. I've been blessed. Pops has been blessed at my place. And honestly, if, if I had had more time or had chosen to hunt a couple days when it was really good conditions, I could have made it out there, but I had other responsibilities. I could have had high rise last year. I could have had Vilcus last year. Shoot, there were a couple days in October, guys. I would have had Bertier. And I confidently knew, and this is something to maybe, this is just a little side side plan don't check your cameras a lot but put them in places that you know you could hunt if you had to or put them in a place that you know i have a i have a the cicero stand as i call it is overlooking kind of a clover brush uh, it's kind of a, a corridor between bedding areas it's, it offers food in the clover and i plant some other stuff in there but um i have i have a couple trail cameras that for the most part if i get pictures of a shooter buck on those cameras the likelihood of me having had a shot at that tree stand is pretty high. It's not guaranteed for by any means. Um, give you know, put 25 cameras on a eight-acre parcel. I will show you multiple paths to avoid all those cameras, and you never know I was there. It's possible. It's it's possible. But one thing, one thing to begin to build faith and belief in your property, your plan, yourself is, you know, jot down, man, I can't hunt today, but if I did with this wind, this time of the year, with these conditions, this stand would make the most sense for deer travel, for my chances, for the likelihood of me to get a shot at a buck, which I categorize as a trophy. And just, just jot that down. And then when you pull that camera at a later date, because we're not going to go in every day and pull cameras, cards, we're going to wait. It might be at the end of the season even. Okay, I've got five dates where I know that stand I would have hunted if I could have. I either didn't because it wasn't just quite perfect or I had other responsibilities or I already had my buck tag. Um, that's a way to continue to hunt even if you've already filled your tags or tag. Or whatever and begin to and, and, and that do, that serves two parts one it's going to build your confidence and your ability to know your property your ability to understand how the deer utilize it but it also causes you to reflect and track movements but in a different way it's not just creating a spreadsheet it's not just category you know it's like these are the days i would have hunted drink hang on 
getting getting a client or a friend or a buddy to just simply begin to believe that that they can implement a plan and be successful that they can get to the point where other people are asking them, man how do you do it you're routinely successful or you know i i love i love getting the emails of trophy shots and stuff but i also love the aspect of when i can get an email and be like you know i didn't hunt i hunted very sparingly i chose and picked and pinpointed my times when i was in the woods and you know what ty i didn't kill this year but look at this activity look at these pictures November 11th, I had another engagement, but I knew it would be good. I, I, I put down this stand. If I'd have been in this stand, look at this buck that walked through my property in killable time, feeling safe, and bam, I could have had him. But you are the biggest obstacle between yourself, your property, and being successful. And I, and I know this sounds really cliche. It, I get that. But do you know how many people feel that way? That, 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 that's literally, I mean, that's why podcasts like mine exist. That's why books exist on this, in this industry. That's why people hire consultants. Oftentimes, I mean, it, it, I've talked to other consultants. I've had people. Yes, it's true. We, I have people come to me, they literally, they just love hunting. You know, maybe they were raised brown is down. Um, opener is, is their main day of hunting, but something tripped in them and they, and they really want to delve into this deeper, but they don't know anything really. They know a decent amount about, you know, cleaning a deer because they've, cl- they've, they've killed enough in their lifetime, but they don't understand deer. They don't understand property. They don't understand food plots. They don't understand trees. They don't understand browse. I get that. But I would say at least half of the people that reach out to me, man, they just need that nudge. They just need that confirmation. They just need that assurance that, yes, you can do this. Yes, you can be successful. You can revamp your property. And they just need that little nudge. Because in the end, if you are listening to this podcast and you have two hands, even if you only have one, (laughs) you can change your property. You can create a habitat plan and implement that plan and be incredibly successful. And I'm not saying all this to disregard consultants at all, at all. They expedite a time schedule. It's like hitting the fast forward button and instead of learning the hard way through issues, you're one year, two year, three year, four, and you're finally starting to figure it out by year five, you're paying a consultant to hopefully explain and, 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 Lessen some of your mistakes and expedite your growth, your property. But I'm telling you right now, if you listen and digest as much as you possibly can, 
you can create a much better property than you have now. Plain and simple. You can. If you have the ability to hear and you have the ability to digest it, you can implement it. And that, that's, that's honestly the whole concept behind something that I hinted at earlier. And I don't even remember what episode it was now looking back, but I'm going to be implementing an attack plan. It's similar. You know, I, I enjoy speaking, presenting, and things of that nature. I'm not necessarily motivated to sit down and write a book. But I think a lot of people waste hundreds and thousands of dollars every single year in this industry when it's unnecessary. They just need a push. Confirmation. Assurance that they're moving in the right direction. If you're listening to this podcast, you're already motivated arguably more than I'd say 90% of the hunters out there. And you want something more. I'm going to tell you, you could listen to Making a Habitat Plan Part 1, 2, and 3. You could listen to it 18 times. And it's not going to matter if you don't believe that you can change your property for the better that you can change your hunting techniques for the better and you can be successful it, it just is what it is you can yeah you may make failures along the way you may make mistakes along the way some things you do may not work shoot I know guys that throw thousands of dollars at other consultants, and then they're asking me questions like, hey, this didn't work. You know, I had so-and-so out here, they had me do this, and it didn't work. Well, you know what? Not everybody is, nobody is perfect, but not everything you do is always going to work. Now, here, here's how the deer are reacting to this. Clearly, or we can make assumptions as to why, and if we're right about, you know, maybe there's two or three three reasons that we think they may be responding in this fashion and if we revamp this section or this this line to do this it's going to tell us whether or not this assumption is correct and they'll start using it you got to be willing to roll with the punches you got to be willing to see failure and respond to it and accept it but ultimately, you have to understand that you can be successful. I mean, dear Lord, you're listening to a guy who grew up on a property that countless hunters looked over. Countless hunters didn't see um, a point to hunt it at all. And we turned it into someplace pretty special. The homestead property... Saw countless bucks hit the ground. I killed at least two or three Pope and Young there. Dad killed one last year, for sure. His other one was close, but not quite, but an awesome buck. It's possible, guys. I'm telling you. You don't have to live in Iowa. You don't have to live in the best counties in 
in Kansas or Illinois. It's possible. And that's making a habitat plan part four. And maybe I should have started with this one. But the mindset of the person implementing the plan. Without without that being positive, without that believing in it, there is nothing I can tell you to do. There is no chainsaw that you can fire up. There is no saw blade that you can touch to a tree. There is no food plot that you can put down. There is no tree that you can plant in any combination of all those things put together, mixed into the best property plan that, in my opinion, will be successful or to the point that it could be. You don't think it will be. This is Ty. Next time you hear me, I'll be back. I'll share with you my voyage to the Boundary Waters. No, it has nothing to do with hunting, but maybe we'll take a minute and I'll share about it. Follow the Facebook page, and I'll be sure to share some of our best, hopefully, fishing pictures. And we'll delve deeper into possibly making a habitat plan if I feel a part five is necessary. Or we'll delve into other topics, topics that you guys have emailed me, things that you have wondered. And I have a couple guests lined up as well. This is Ty. God bless and good luck out there. As I already said before, thank you for listening to this episode of the Small Your Hunting Podcast. Hopefully wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.